Welcome to the Ether. Today is Wednesday, January 25th, 2023. Today on the Ether, the bare bones of Web3 midweek special with guest Tina Lu Hu from the Minxiverse. Let's take a listen. Good afternoon, everyone, or good morning. Um, we just I just wanted to hold off a second, maybe see if we can get some more people in the room. Hi, Minxie. Our guest is here. I'm so excited. If you guys would do me a huge um, favor and tweet out the room so we can let everybody know. And then after the show, you know, if you don't want your your Twitter littered with a bunch of spaces, please feel free to delete it. Um, Minxie, is Ari on? Yes, Ari's on your team. All right. Oh, Alexandra's here too. She's on our team as well. Oh, Alexandria. Hi, hi guys. Good morning. I made it this time. I got I got the the PST versus EST correct. That that is my <laughs> fault. I should have put it in your time, or I at least made sure that I made it clear. And I am so very sorry about that. No, no, I'm sorry. I mean, we are. I, I'm on the West Coast, and most of the team is is in Florida, so I'm used to having to do the conversion. So that really was just my my bad. They never, they're not, Alexandra, they never, they never translate the time for us. It's always just like, hey, one o'clock. And we're like, PST. They never do it. I know. It's very upsetting. I wish I could learn a UTC. Like, I wish I could just have it in my head. And that's the only way I thought was in like UTC time. It would be, it would, it would solve a lot of problems. (laughs) Okay. So you're B bands. (laughs) Yes, I am Dan, so I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> um, EJ, the founder, is down in the spaces as well. I was inviting him to speak if he had any questions. But I was so excited to um, I was so excited to get you on the show um, because I like how you go down the rabbit hole and you're always talking about like these crazy theories and AI and stuff. And so I had like this crazy like theory that I had like put together and I was like so excited to share it with you oh my god I think it was oh. sir he wrote me and he was like oh I was so excited to hear your thing and I was like no I missed it what was your crazy was like, theory oh another uh, we'll talk about another okay, time I okay. want to let's first let's first chat about um your project about you um I just want to introduce the co-host this is Saberstein she is um uh, the co-host for t- um, bare bones of web three we do a weekly show on Mondays and she does the market analysis and crypto, which is fantastic. Um, if you want to say hi. Good morning, guys. Thank you so much for coming on today. Um, I might be a bit quiet. You might hear my kids in the background. So apologies. Um, but still so great to be able to get you guys on for a midweek special. Thank you. Awesome. Well, Alexandra knows all about that. Sometimes she's got a kid you know, coughing or sneezing and snotting on her lap while she's hosting a space. <laughs> it's all welcome it is it actually adds to the human condition like you know 
AI can't go and, you know, it might have emotions, but it won't have a baby crying in the background. You know, <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm just saying. Um, so I, we, um, I, if you could, Mingxi, uh, please, um, Tina Liu, would you tell us a little bit about, you know, who you are and a little bit about Minxie's and then we can go into a few questions that we had that we had gone through. Um, me and Saberstein were so um, impressed with your uh, documents and everything you had going on. We wanted to talk about that as well. Well, you can thank Alexandra and Ari for all the documents, <laughs> the documents I don't want to read. But um, no, Minxie is a project that we started a little over a year, I guess, like a year and a half ago. Um, started basically, you know, as a bunch of people that are in crypto um, that realized that there were a lot of solutions for creators, especially after, I would say, especially after the announcement that OnlyFans made a while back where they were going to shut down adult content. Um, and, you know, I'm working in the adult and adult leading industry as a producer for Playboy. Like I have a lot of friends, you know, that were freaking out and, you know, being in the crypto space myself and the others on the Minxie team, as we formed Minxie, uh, we were like, holy crap, like there's a clear solution for this on the blockchain. So, you know, we got to work creating a platform and it's evolved since then to include creators of all categories, as we've seen you know, holes for also people, especially like in cannabis, for example, who can't even share content on OnlyFans um, and really just started to think about as a creator, um, as somebody that's had to use platforms, you know, my entire career to market myself. I, you know, just seeing all the holes, like um, thinking about it more holistically, like, OK, there are more problems that we can solve with blockchain aside from just, you know, payment processors that don't have morality clauses or you know, being able to cut out the middleman, like there are just so many solutions that we're able to to provide. And at the same time, there's this whole Web2 market that's untapped still. And so, you know, wanting to build a platform that isn't overly Web3, that is, uh, you know, comfortable for the Web2 crowd so that we can really start, you know, bringing the Web2 people over to Web3 with us. And and yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty much the, the basis of it. You guys, does any, Alexandra or Ari, you want to add anything? Yeah, sure. I can say a couple of words. Hey there, guys. Ari, um, the entertainment lawyer by day, uh, one of the co-founders of Minxi by night, mostly night these days because I'm about eight hours ahead of everybody and 11 hours ahead of Pacific time. So there's that. Um, but um, yeah, we've, uh, you know, we've grown a lot and uh, we've, uh, you know, gone through the ebbs and flows, uh, you know, with the market. And, um, you know, pivoting and uh, trying to see what solutions you know, reflect um, best and, uh, you know, answer the the most um, relevant issues that creators face in the day-to-day in the formats via which they want to monetize, in the formats in which they want to, um, you know, communicate with, um, you know, their users, their customers, their clients, their, you know, followers, their, you know, their fans. And uh, at the end of the day, um, you know, we're building, we're growing, uh, you know, we're, you know, always open to feedback and uh, trying to soak information in and try to see what is new in the market and uh, how can we, you know, take an advantage of it to provide that value to creators first and foremost. So happy, happy to be here. Hey, it's good to be here. Sorry, I was uh, back channeling with Hawk, actually, who showed up. Hey, good to see you, man. Um I um, I'm a corporate and securities lawyer, used to be at the SEC, and then I was at a big firm, and then I ran a practice, and I had my own, and um, 
and I founded two companies and I exited in 2016, uh, moved into blockchain then. So uh, I do tell people that the first conference I was asked to speak at, um, there were 200 people, which was a packed house. <laughs> Yeah, like I saw half the conference at the tiny sushi place next door. <laughs> but um, it's changed a lot. But um, but I originally came to build a project, but the um, it was back then it was just Ethereum. There weren't any layer twos that were actually built. So um, it was just too heavy and slow. And so it wasn't going to work. It's actually it's much better now, but it's still not fair if you guys ever want to talk about that. Um, there's, there's, you still can't build anything that's a marketplace and, and ensure that it's fair to all the, you know, the people who use it. Um, but it's getting better. And, um, yeah, anyway, so I just have been asked to help out a bunch of projects and then I was asked to, um, you know, uh, I write a book and I have a podcast called Crypto Immersion. If you guys are interested in completely unbiased information about blockchain, um, it's, uh, completely like it's just telling you everything from what is blockchain and how do tokens work and what's between a to token and a coin and platforms and applications how does a DeFi drop work and i'm uh, sorry nft drop and how does DeFi work and um you can actually see one of the talks i've given for the publisher of the DeFi book i'm writing um because uh they made me do it <laughs> so it's public and um Anyway, uh, I don't know. I do a lot in this space. I talk a lot. I try to help out people, especially retail investors. That tends to be, you know, the people who don't know their rights. Um, that's it. I don't know. That's what I do. Oh, I just invited to the largest conference, the largest tech conference in Europe today. Isn't that nice? I was just invited to speak there. So congratulations. I know I'm going to be in their very first um, listing of uh, of speakers. It's 100,000 people at that conference. So woo. So if you're in Paris in June, I'll be there. <laughs> it's going to be a packed sushi place. It's going to be a packed. Sure. I know we'll take over the sushi place. It'll be like, you know, spillover to McDonald's beyond that. So but anyway, very because Mac dough apparently is super, super hot there. So, so uh, anyway, that's that's me. It's cool to be in this space. Nice to see you guys. Awesome. Um, so I just um, after hearing that we I've gone through the doc. I love reading docs and, and people's plans and everything that's going on. Um, there was a beta launch uh, scheduled for December 22nd. Um, how did that go? Are, are you guys still in beta? Oh, yeah. We're in private beta right now. So, you know, we had the platform ready to sort of go and have invite some friends in there and start testing it out. And so right now we're in the phase of working out some kinks so that we can onboard more creators and onboard and get to our public beta. It's really, really exciting. Um, it's it's a lot. It's a it's a, it's a huge project. I actually learned how to code a little bit so that I could help out our our CTO. And um, it's been really exciting, you know, just seeing which features you know are stand out on the platform now what features that we're working to to bring on to the platform and which ones we really actually need before we go to public beta but that's where we're at right now um looks like uh, i was talking to our cto yesterday um because he's integrating our, our payment processor right now which is a really awesome payment processor um really excited about it. it's going to make it very 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 web 2 friendly but still have it have the crypto payments and, and make sure that it's web 3 and blockchain um, but looks like our timeline, and I wanted to talk to him before we got in the space because I knew that might be a question because there's a lot of people really wanting to get on the platform, but we have like a lot of optimizing to do to just be able to handle um, all the users that we have on there. 
So it's looking like it's going to take about a month. So it should take, I believe he said two weeks for the payment process or two weeks for the optimization. And in the meantime, I'm just sort of running around on there doing the little, you know, cleaning up some of the UI stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's exciting. We have right now, uh, the working features that we have are, are sort of like what you have pinned up at the top. Um, you can live stream, you can charge for content, you can you can offer free content. The idea behind that is to uh, to provide uh, discoverability for creators because on other platforms like Patreon and OnlyFans, yes, you can monetize there, but how are you growing your community without having to go off platform and market yourself on platforms that, that wanna shut your content down or wanna shadow ban you or just completely deactivate your account because of the content category that you're in. So we wanted to provide a platform where you could do both. Essentially, like you can sort of just like Instagram and like Twitter, you can post, you know, uh, text content, you can post images, videos, uh, GIFs and stuff, you can do stories, and then you can do live streaming sessions and everything can be posted, like I said earlier, you can either charge for it individually, you can charge a subscription, which would unlock all of your content. Some of it can be free so that you can reach a larger audience and be in that discover page. Um, and then I really like the live streaming feature because um, I think that's going to come in handy for people that want to do like, you know, some educational stuff or offer uh, like a series um, that you can either offer for free or charge for or any of that stuff. So um, coming in Q2, I believe we will have our own NFT marketplace uh, that'll be integrated into the, the platform as well. We wanted to make sure that we were offering creators more than just NFTs as a way to to sell, right? Because uh, a lot of Web2 people and a lot of um, my friends personally who are a little still turned off to the NFT stuff, you know, we wanted to provide ways for them to monetize that were familiar to them while still protecting them, you know, by uh, offering, you know, um, crypto payments, uh, blockchain stuff, uh, all the good stuff. But I'll let um, maybe Alexandra or Ari speak to it a little bit more. Go for it, Alex. I mean, yeah, Alex, it would be cool for you to talk about the good token because that's that's pretty cool. I know that like there's a lot of worry, especially like with with um, Web two folks, is the the volatility of the market. And Alexandra's really developed an amazing tokenomic system for you know really protecting your assets. So, do you want to? Sure. I mean, um, you know, so one of the biggest problems is people getting paid in volatile tokens, which incidentally is a whole other discussion we can have on uh, why cryptocurrency, it, none of it is really a currency yet. Although they are trying with the stable coins. And by the way, did anybody see Polygon is trying to do a stable coin? I don't know if you guys saw that. They want to convert into a stable coin. I, I tweeted about it, I'm pretty sure. Um, what was the name? What did they want to call it? I don't even know. I was like, what? It's an algorithmic stable coin. No, I like, it's did, a Luna. Oh, another one. Triggered. Triggered. I'm um, so triggered. I, I'm going to cry. <laughs> I, I seriously, I was like, I was, I was like, just like, just WTF, period. <laughs> like, this is crazy. And, I mean, so far, none of the stable coins are are free. Like they're all they're all going to crash, right? But the length of time that they're um, that they're useful is actually you know enough for the very short term DeFi apps. But as we've seen, when stable coins crash, it's a mess. Like you know, you the likelihood that it's going to crash when you are using it is pretty low. But the likelihood that it'll crash when somebody's using it is high. It will crash the hundred percent. They're all they're none of them are designed correctly. So I'm looking at this going another one. They're gonna try this. And as soon as I saw algorithmic, I was like, oh, you can't. That's not the way to do it. It's because they don't 
they need economists or people who understand economics de designing these things. But as a total, that's another aside. There's just so much news out there this morning that I've been like, I've been like mass tweeting this morning, um, talking about all of these <laughs> random things that have been going on. Um, you know, there's the commingling thing now with Binance. I was like, damn it. <laughs> oh, well, he, the, the mistake, it was a mistake. They accidentally did that. It's a mistake. I don't know. Remember, <laughs> like with, with FTX, they, I mean, you know, they accidentally didn't change their, um, you know, the Alameda accounts to FTX accounts. Uh, also, that was how it started. So I, I don't know, but I do know that there is some really uh, not awesome things going on there. Like we, we've already found like through, um, we can track the, the different problems that they've had, including that whole, speaking of stablecoin, stablecoin boot off thing that they did a while ago. But I don't understand why we run from things that are centralized and controlled from, by elites, right? We build this whole damn space dedicated to people controlling their own transactions. And what do we do? We start applauding when people centralize that control and start buying everything because what a blockchain is involved. Like, I, I don't know. I'm personally just kind of, what are we doing here? Does, do we need to like, you know, regroup and start, you know, thinking about this again? Like now, what are our principles again? <laughs> well, and Alexandra, <laughs> I feel we like what you've done, like with our tokenomics and like I fought her on it a little bit at first because I was like, OK, explain it to me, explain it to me again, explain it to me again. And then finally, when it clicked, I was like, oh, I mean, this is really perfect and it's so fucking simple. But leave it to the former SEC attorney who cares most about making things compliant and making them work well to really come up with the perfect you know, plan. And that's, you know. Not that, you know, we're going to start out by offering, you know, different uh, crypto payment methods and, and fiat conversions and stuff like that. But, you know, we have this good token and the good token, we don't want to call it a stable coin because, you know, that's it, it can't be traded. It's, it's, it's literally non-volatile. Right. Yeah, we'll call it non-volatile. And how is it non-volatile? It's a non-volatile token. Because it token. doesn't leave our ecosystem. It doesn't need to. Yeah. So okay. So it's an in-app currency only. So, but you yeah, cash so, it out. So okay. Fiat, you cash it out to another crypto. It doesn't have to stay. But what keeps it stable? Actually, I'm not going to talk about this, Alexandra. You talk about. Oh no! No, I, I cool. definitely would like to hear this because I was going to yeah, ask him. No, it's, um, cool. it's she's trained the, me to be able to speak about it pretty well, I think. But I still feel like when she's in the room, she should speak to it. No, Tina, you're awesome about it. I mean, I love it. I think you're you're really great. I mean. Um, like that's what it is. It's a non-volatile token. So the whole problem is um, while people love volatility, they really love it when the market's going up, but it sucks ass when it's going down. And by the time you close a transaction, you may not have what you think you have. And that predictability is a problem. You have to know exactly what you're selling something for. And you should expect that account, that money in your account even if you don't withdraw it the second that you that you receive it, right? You should be able to leave it and it still maintains its value. So what we did is create a token that is non-volatile. So basically it has um, a constant value that is maintained by a liquidity pool. And the liquidity pool is something that's automated. We don't, we don't touch it. We don't draw from it. Nobody draws from it, except if you're buying or selling from it. Um, that's all, that's all you're doing is essentially exactly the value of tokens. It's, it's, it's literally what all of these other exchanges, um, were supposed to do, but didn't do. So you can literally see um, exactly how much something's worth because, um, you know, that's, 
that's literally the constant exchange rate all the time. And, and because there's a constant exchange rate and a constant acceptance rate on our, on our platform, um, there's no point in going out to another platform and trying to sell it for a higher value. So let's say, you know, if it's worth like, you know, whatever, like, um, you know, a, a dollar on our, on our, like one token equals $1 going out to another platform and selling your $1 token for $2 is like a yay for you. But the person who purchases it and purchases it and tries to use it still only gets a dollar of value. There's zero incentive to create a market for it, which is really what you need in order to prevent all sorts of securities liability, because the way the market works, you can, you know, anybody can, can put something on there and that's a problem. And the other thing I wanted to say is, um, you know, we will be introducing our governance token at some point. I was thinking about this, especially last night, because, and as Alex knows, <laughs> I've been using the Stepin app, right? And so like, I'm trying to earn GMT instead of GST, because GMT right now is much more valuable than GST. I don't know if you guys know the Stepin, the Stepin app. Um, Alexander has certain things to say about it, but I like it because it encourages me to get outside and and um, I get paid to to basically go for a jog. It's great. But anyway, um, I was thinking about it and it's like, okay, I'm earning the GMT. And the way I was thinking, I was like, so you can just buy as many governance tokens as you want. And, you know, it just brought me back to when we were like, okay, how can we make governance fair? Like when we introduce our governance token to, to the creators and then still allowing other people to purchase and allowing it to be that volatile token, right? Well, what I love about what Alexander's done is like, no, it's not just a pay for play thing. You can't just buy up a bunch of these governance tokens. And, you know, uh, would you speak to that a little bit? Because I really, really like that one. This is so funny. I have worked on so many other like I've been working on tokenomics for a while and nobody ever like asked me to speak about it publicly. They're just like, can you explain this part? And then, <laughs> and then they go and talk about it. Um, so um yeah, so the governance token, so the first thing is it's really important not to buy votes, right? Because that's not fair. We have voting organized by category. So um, if you are an adult, uh, you know, you, you do adult or cannabis or something like that, you don't want what I call like, you know, the Jesus, Jesus on velvet painters. painters. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You don't want them gathering together and have and and like being able to vote you off the platform because that's not right like because what we can do is is put in some some general standards and guidelines but fundamentally we want the creators determining what is uh, a acceptable behavior within that community um at themselves right because the acceptable so standards vary so long as it's legal disclaimer as long, of yeah. course <laughs> it has to be legal and those are the guidelines that we set you know and we set procedures for how to handle disputes and how to handle voting and things like that but fundamentally it is that, um, you know, we have this this issue where uh, first people are taking over DAOs and other platforms because they they play dirty politics and they buy votes. So once again, you have another platform where the richest person wins. And that is not what we're trying to create. Right. And we, the other thing is we don't want a platform where people with different standards are bringing their subjective standards to someone else's space. That's not right. You know, they can't bring their standards to another space. But the, by the same token, you know, the people who are doing cannabis NFTs and subscriptions are not, you know, they can't bring those standards to like, you know, someone who does children's art or something like that, because they're just, they're not the same. So we keep everything categorized. 
And then everybody who's a creator gets a vote. And we do that doing a like a it's a version of an SBT, a soulbound token. Basically, you get, you know, one vote for your for the wallet that is actually the creator. Um, and um, and then we have structures for voting and things. And one of the things I really wanted to introduce, but we can't just yet, um, is staking for voting. Um, because we want to encourage people taking part in their um, in like the development of their own space um, and reward them for doing that. So um, the governance token itself um, is going to be like there will release essentially um, a, a just a straight security. So that would be a token that's just a regular security because for us, the most important thing is actually being compliant. And there's so much non-compliant stuff out there and people just say you know they look at other builds and they say well they did it it must be fine but as we've seen just because someone has done it even if they've you know grown to a very large size doesn't mean that they're doing anything legally and if anybody looks at the you know um the vcs and says well the vcs invested in it and so therefore it must be um you know okay i'm sure they vetted it no they didn't they're not even asking the right questions, to be honest. They don't really understand how the metrics change between Web 2 and Web 3. And that's part of the reason why we have these crappy builds now. 2017 to 2020 was about Web 2 VC investment into the Web 3 space. And they brought that, you know, um, move fast and break things, lean startup build. And that doesn't work in this space. And so now we're seeing these crash primarily because what they ended up doing is building so much off chain because you can't do what they wanted to do on chain. So most of the the important part of transactions occurs behind the scenes rather than publicly. Um, most of it isn't automated and it is controlled by, you know, whatever the founding group is. And we don't have any transparency into what they're doing. So essentially, we built a lot of Web2 platforms with a blockchain. And that is not the same thing as building a real Web3 platform. So, um, so we just want to make sure that what we're doing is actually compliant. And, you know, if other people are building garbage, um, and they will, uh, we're not going to be at risk of being taken down with the rest of them. And being the last one standing is a great thing, in my opinion. <laughs> so um, there's a lot of demand out there still for actual DeFi, not the fake DeFi we have now, um, and for um, actual like investment strategies and tools, and then also for um, you know building different revenue models as creators. And um, and we can capture that and make sure that nothing gets seized. So one of the issues that we found is that there are so few payment providers that are not um, essentially like they don't have they all have like this moral authority like will we of course we want your money unless you're doing something we consider to be icky even though you know everybody involved is still part of that those communities right like they're all looking at porn oh my god they're all you know like yeah. lighting up you know, so you guys, I, I don't really, really understand. I don't know if you would agree with this, Alexander, but I really do feel like the payment processor search has been the biggest struggle for us. It's for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's really an innovation that I'd like to, you know, move in on, to be honest, because clearly that's an issue. And the one thing that looked promising, it turned out to be a rug. Uh, because, you know, yeah, we need that in the space. Of course, it attracts people there, but 
Um, the truth is this, this idea that somebody who is literally doing the mechanics of processing, like they're not selling for you, they're not storing your money, they're not doing anything like that. Um, they have a right to say whether or not what you're selling is not not le not that it's legal because remember everything we do is legal I, all the stuff that we're selling is legal um not that it's legal if it is morally okay now why it's like the cash register saying no no that's ooky i don't really want to touch that and i'm just really i i don't know where they get the balls to do that but the most hypocritical thing has been how many of them come back to us and are like no, no, you know, we should like, we'll do it. How much of it is, is, you know, is adult? How much of it is cannabis? We're like, we don't have a percentage. It's like, well, whoever shows up, shows up. And, um, and they're, you know, they're like, well, it's, I'm sure it's okay. Well, can I get it in writing? Well, we don't do that. Oh, okay. So you want our money, but then if you change your mind or someone else comes into management, you'll be like, oh, I didn't know that they were doing that. Let's seize everyone's money because that's actually what happens. They not only freeze transactions, but they will seize money so that because it's theirs, it's considered theirs while it's on their platform. So um, there's so many things wrong with it. I've, I'm sorry, I have like apparently a bunch of soapboxes that I'm hopping from one to another. And no, so, you're good though because that's um, you know, that's like that's a that. really good point though, <laughs> Alex. That's such a good point because we've had, like I said, it's been one of the biggest challenges for us is because we're not willing to just be like, oh, okay, well, you said it's, it might be okay. Or like, we can't give you a percentage. Like Alex said, is like, we would like it to be even across the board with different creator categories, but the people will decide, right? We can't, we don't want to end up doing what OnlyFans did, what Patreon did, what, what Tumblr did, right? Where it's like, we say it's cool or, or we accept it, right? And then all of a sudden we blindside everyone because, you know, we didn't do our due diligence to really truly make sure that the payment processors that were that we're using um, are not going to interfere with with your with your cash flow, essentially. So that's in my mind that has been the biggest, you know, <clears throat> delay in any any part of this any stage of what we've been building. Um, but yeah, like really really excited about about the payment processor that that we're integrating right now. So you know, and having the backup payment processors in case something goes wrong. Just again, like I said earlier, like learning from the mistakes of other platforms that came before us and you know, trying to make the best of, of web two and web three come together so that we have a, a great platform to offer for everyone, not just the web three community. So I don't know, that was a lot to answer that question. I hope that we answered the question. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I said, we're in private beta still, um, it looks like three to four weeks, we'll, we'll open it up to an even wider audience. Um, I'm not sure that that will be public yet, but it will be closer. So we're excited. You know, in your in your answer, actually, you answered like three of my questions because I was like, oh, OK, well, I don't have to ask that one anymore. It's like and then as you kept talking, I was like, OK, the good token or we're talking about the governance token. OK, that one's off. And I just kept clicking them off as you guys were answering. So thank you so much. Um, but there was a question, too, that Saberstein had. Um, and I wanted to give her a chance to to ask it and then maybe we'll go to the crowd. Hi. Yeah, actually, I'm honestly loving listening to both of you speak. It is so wonderful just to be able to sit and digest everything. Thank you so much so far. Um, so my question actually is for Tina. Bevance was telling me that you taught yourself how to code after listening to you speak on Spaces. And I'm just wondering what motivated you to learn how to code? Because I know it can be a lot to... Um, just like wrap your head around coding and then also to be able to understand it. 
if you wouldn't mind answering? Oh boy. <laughs> so, okay. Well, I did teach myself to code when I was really, really young. When back when like we had like dial up and I wanted to make, I don't know, I was like 13 and I was really into Green Day and I wanted to make a tribute website. So, I mean, it's not like my love for coding never existed. It's just, I didn't do it for a very, very long time. So the thing is, is I feel like, uh, so I started to feel, okay, so you know, this is this is early stage startup stuff, right? And like, we're limited with resources, we're limited with with people, um, and and all that stuff. So we have like a very like our CTO is an extremely talented coder, but he's one person, and so we were sort of like needing to we needed additional devs, and we were hiring, you know, outsourcing. And um, you know, when somebody isn't invested in your project, it, I don't know, you know, maybe they get a new contract, and so they they divert their attention. I'm not sure what it was, but I felt very powerless, right? Because I'm like. I can't help the CTO. I don't even know what the fuck they're talking about, you know, and our, our, our CEO, um, he's also, you know, he's a, he's a tech guy, but not so much front end back end development, but more so cybersecurity stuff. So he wasn't really a coder. And like, I just felt very powerless. Um, cause I saw some issues and I saw some hangups and I'm like, what is going on here? Like, and I just really feel like as, as an early stage startup co-founder, being really invested into the thing. Like I wanted to figure out like, not just like what's going on, but how can I help? Right. So, so I watched some Solidity videos. Like I spent two weekends learning Solidity and then I downloaded VS code and um, learned a little bit of JavaScript and sort of, I, I wouldn't say that I can code. I, what I would say is that I can copy code and I can, I can read code. So I can find, I was able to basically kind of get to the bottom of what some of the issues were and so that I could help with like at least project managing um, for, for the platform stuff for like the tech side of the platform stuff. And it was really empowering. I would suggest anybody that's working, um, you know, on a tech project, learn a little bit. Um, not only so that you can sort of be a check and balance between the tech, the, you know, the devs and, and the non-devs on the team, but just to kind of keep things moving and offer help. Like really, it makes me feel like it, this is going to sound silly, but it really warms my help, my heart when I can help our CTO because it's a fucking lot, man. Like, I don't know if you guys have ever looked at backend, frontend code of, of a platform, but it is, a, it's a lot. And it makes sense why things take so long. And it makes sense why you need more than one dev working on something. It makes sense why, you know, I can see how, unless you were there from the beginning of a project, how like, okay, now there's all this code that like, you gotta, I don't know, it's just, it's, I think it's important to know a little bit, you know, um, a little bit of the, the back end, front end coding stuff so that you can just help and move the project along. And it's really fun to be able to do some little UI things and, and you know, see it, you know? The thing about like being an artist, it's like, a, it's such a conceptual, thing to be an artist right like but what i really loved about coding is that it's just very straightforward it's like if this then that and if you know the language it's really just it's just a language right so it's really cool it's like i want it to do this thing and as long as i don't fuck up the code i can make it do the thing right it's not so creative it's it's more so just you know and not that not that you can't be creative as a dev but the actual coding itself is just very straightforward if you want something to do something you can tell it to do it and it will do it you can break it and it won't do it. And then you got to go through all the code and figure out what the fuck you broke. But, but yeah, no, that's pretty much it. And that makes uh, like perfect sense to me. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah. Just, just a quick uh, aside. She mostly Tina did it because she's a badass and because she's about it. 
that's that's pretty much it. You do what you got to do to have the project succeed and get to the point where it needs to be. And uh, whatever it requires, you know, late night hours, you know, joining calls at 4 a.m., uh, you know, because of the time differences, uh, learning code, uh, you know, wearing multiple hats. That's that's what it's all about. If you're not about it, don't do it. Ari is the one taking calls at 4 a.m., just to be clear. <laughs> yeah, a little mesocism <laughs> about it, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I would just say, don't, like, don't that's what it is to be a co-founder on in an early stage startup is just, you know being able to help in every, any area that, that requires help because we're a family, you know, my house is on fire, your house is on fire. What are we going to do to put it out? Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, and for those of, I just kind of want to circle back real quick for those of you who just entered the space, we um, are chatting with the co-founder and founders um, of Minxi, which is a launch pad protocol that will be um, for any kind of content and being able to have like adult content or other content and be paid within the, um, on the blockchain. So, um, there's so much, and there's so many layers to this project. And I was just so impressed by everything that was given to me. I had to take a bunch of notes. Um, cause pro I'm definitely going to want to have you guys back on the show, um, as things continue to progress. But, um, before I continue, I saw that 420 CA, uh, had requested to speak, so I didn't know if you guys knew who they were, but I will give them a moment to say or ask a question. We don't know who that is. That glass of milk has been following me around <laughs> in every space. No, I'm just kidding. Hey, Tina, how you Hi, doing? Tina. What's that? <laughs> um, so I've been in IT for, you know, a better half of a, a, a century or decade, I'm sorry. Uh, and I'm in computer you forensics. Said century, sorry. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm been smoking, Tina. You know me. Um, and one thing I came across was uh, when it came to my content, when it comes to switching to 420, which means more cannabis, all of my accounts started to just vanish. They started to get tagged and disappear. And I went into OnlyFans looking to see if it was the same criteria, but found out something totally different. Um, I have friends who I help with their OnlyFans accounts by making sure they're able to, you know, monetize and do marketing. And so I went through the process of applying for OnlyFans account. Um, and I was very adamant that my content will not be 18 plus, but more cannabis related and like, you know, just educational. Do you know they actually took them three months to approve my account? They kept giving me these weird excuses as to why they didn't want to give me account on OnlyFans to be able to sell my educational content regarding 420 cannabis. So I was really happy to see that Minxi was actually stepping into the arena of being able to give platform a platform for people to do the content within a reasonable, you know, amount of like, hey, we trust you to do what you have to do, make sure the content's great, but also the community will be the eyes and ears of reason when it comes to, you know, whether or not we should boot this content but what comes into play for me, which I really love is, like Tina said, the, the, the angels won't be talking about the angels and the demons won't be talking about the demons. And there, it'd be a, a very clear decision making for people who are in the arena of that content and will be able to do it effectively. So kudos to Minxie for that observation because it, it will be needed. Yeah, I was surprised to hear somebody say the other day that cannabis content is, is actually not really allowed on OnlyFans. Is that true? Or how is your page doing? I'm curious. 
Um, they finally gave me a um, account, but I get no marketing. I get no information. They it's just like I'm just in a dark dark bubble. Um, I haven't really posted much, but yeah, I get no interaction whatsoever on the on the uh, platform. Just quickly, if we're looking for the OnlyFans and their take on you know cannabis, you know it is restricted and prohibited in their terms and conditions since March, I believe, of uh, the year before last, twenty one. And which is also a little bit, uh, you know, ironic given that they have had a change of CEO um, and the, uh, the, the, the newcomer, uh, I believe she is from cannabis marketing originally. So it's, but the, the restriction still stands. So, you know, uh, no matter the people, the, you know, the terms prevail. Because porn okay, pot no. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> That's pretty Whatever. funny. Uh, so but um, do your porn sober do it sober just kidding sorry i mean we already have like a diminishing population like if everybody had to be sober to have sex like oh my god we'd have like 10 people left (laughs) you're hilarious so listen how do we get social security alexandra (laughs) alexandra (laughs) orgasms are better sober <laughs> so, um, See, you, you thought you wouldn't learn. You wouldn't learn in this space. We uh, we teach all the time. Education, people. <laughs> okay, um, I'm gonna hold myself real quick. Um, I got Chris down here. He requested to speak. Do you have a question for Tina and um the team? Yeah. Hey, how you guys doing? Um. I had a question. Um, uh, this seems like an awesome platform and a great way to uh, attract um, creators and, and give power to creators again and take them away from these big uh, websites and stuff. But my question is, is um, how do you plan to attract users and what is your, um, I guess, plan for that, that barrier of uh, Web3 to get people in and, and using it? Because right now, you know, you could type in anything into Google and get a million pictures of whatever or porn and pictures and content that you want. Well, we actually, you know, are currently, um, you know, looking at the different strategies uh, for the purposes. Um, you know, the users, it's always interesting, right? It's the chicken and egg, right? It's the, do the creators follow the users, do the users follow the creators. And it's a little bit of both, right? And the, the thought process that we had is, you know, providing, you know, seamless, you know, the majority of the, you know, benefits and the functionalities that they learned towards creators, definitely 100%. Uh, but there's also a very important element of, um, you know, any, you know, blockchain-based transaction that is, um, you know, not replicable uh, on Web2, and that is privacy, right? And that is making sure that, um, you know, even regardless if you can, you know, track the transaction on the blockchain by using... Uh, the variety of tools available to you, um, you know, on your bank statement, it's not going to say OnlyFans. It's not going to say Pornhub. Um, it is significantly more discreet. And, uh, you know, we can tell you a little bit more about, you know, our marketing plans in the next, uh, you know, month, month and a half uh, when it comes to community building and uh, uh, increasing the share. But, uh, my gosh, I uh, think you're speaking, going it's off, about, think It's so. about being honest. It's about being <laughs> transparent. It's about listening to people, right? Uh, we have had a lot of, um, you know, pivots uh, throughout the process, specifically based on, you know, what we have 
um, gathered from you know the people in spaces like this. Uh, you know, in terms of uh, what are the, the most important things to them, what are the pain points, uh, what are the things that you know drive them to join this or that platform, um, and obviously, you know, there's a certain level of attrition. But as Tina was mentioning before, um, the level of uh, you know interface and uh, you know the payment processor integration, you know, combining both fiat and crypto, and then you know moving that towards uh, the transactional token, uh, the good token that we Alexandra you know went. Uh, in depth on, uh, that is kind of, you know, the, the plan, uh, for the weeks ahead for us. And, uh, it's, uh, it's always, always wonderful and enlightening to be able to speak to the audience using, you know, tools like Twitter spaces and clubhouses to, to, to get the people what they want. Yeah. I would say I just to oh. add to that real quick, like it, it is like, think about it. Like we're literally creating a platform to combat issues like shadow banning and having your content removed because of the category it, it is in and uh, the nature of the content. And, and we're trying to market ourselves on social media platforms that are shadow banning us, right? So it's like, it's kind of hilarious and, and horrible and works to our story really well, right? But at the same time, you know, We've got other things, you know, we've got, you know, we've got, you got to do like the SEO stuff. You got to do the typical, you know, ads, paid ads. You got to do all the typical marketing stuff. But, you know, I mean, I don't know how to say this without sounding like, first of all, community building, which we've really sort of just started doing, right? Like we had our heads down, we were building the project. Community building, I think is going to be one of the number one things. We have like, there are a couple people on this team, myself included, I would say, our Rolodex is really great, right? So once we start really getting confident about where the platform is and onboarding, you know, more, and we've got some of the things flushed out and we've got the payment processor like going and ready to go, like there are a few of us on the team like that just have, have the Rolodex to really access people that maybe other projects wouldn't necessarily have access to without shitload of money to do it with. And I think for us, it's it's less about being able to pay big names and really just we're friends with the big names, right? So getting them over here will be more um more uh what's the word i'm looking for authentic and not just like oh we paid this influencer to to you know market our product for us we actually have access to these people as friends right so getting them over here and developing relationships in an honest way and really showing people that like hey this platform solves a lot of problems i don't think i think once we open up the public beta and we have the stuff in place that we need to I don't think I keep believing that it won't be that hard given, you know, all the things that we're doing from a marketing perspective and then also, you know, digging into our personal network. I think it's going to be I think it's going to be great. So we'll see. You know, there are a lot of challenges, but we just got to kind of be able to pivot and do all the stuff. Yeah, so we get to see. Awesome wait, because, uh, oh, sorry, go ahead, Chris. I have, a, I have a different perspective on this, but go ahead. Oh, sorry about that. I didn't mean to cut you off, but um, I just want to say, uh, yeah, that's awesome. Because I, I see, uh, I think one of the biggest barriers for people is they don't like as much as people say sexuality is out there is okay. It's it's kind of a taboo subject to talk about or see on your bills or or, or have in, in your home, and then being able to be discreet about it and still be able to you know function and do what you have to do is 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 a great thing. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, Alexandra. If, yeah, if I, if I can't like so. First, the point of this is not really about porn. This is not about a separate platform like that, you know, people who do taboo things go to this platform and, you know, it's like the secret platform. It's basically like, look, if you're offering something that's legal as a creator, and remember, that's any kind of content, 
then we're happy to support you. And that means that means other content like written content, as if we've seen nothing from like, you know, the Twitter files, it doesn't matter really where on the political spectrum you fall. There are a number of people who can show that they haven't been able to access audiences simply because of what they say. And that's something that we're also um, addressing. So this isn't really about it has to be something that is, you know, like you know, like, you know, illicit or something like that. It's, it's about the fact that there are people who have things to say that are legitimate people who can't speak to, or even find their communities simply because of the nature of the interests that they have. Again, legal only, but that's that those are legitimate issues that people are having. Now, if we look at the nature of the space in um, in blockchain and in NFTs, and remember we do subscriptions as well as NFTs, et cetera, one of the issues that we have is when originally, you know, uh, OpenSea was around for a long time, or like quite a while, right? They basically took art.com and they put it on a blockchain and they waited. And um, when that ha- when people started actually noticing this space, which remember NFTs have been around since 2015, um, but people didn't really notice them at all until after um, uh, Beeple sold that incredible, you know, that $69 million painting. Now there were reasons why that painting sold and why he was the person to make that painting sold. And I address all of those like you know, I've talked about it before. I'm sure I'll talk about it again. But there are some rules about when, like, why certain people succeed in NFTs and others don't. And they've been shifting a little bit, but generally speaking, the principles remain the same. So, uh, what happened when uh, when NFTs came out originally? First, there was you know OpenSea, and then a bunch of platforms actually came up around that time. And they all tried different models. Should we be exclusive? Should be, we be inclusive? How should we do this? And remember that there were also a bunch of people who were literally just waiting for NFTs to come out because they were like, this is awesome. And originally it was all of the artist communities supporting other artist communities. So they were waiting to buy whatever it was. And it turns out that this very populist, um, platform, which wasn't exclusive, was the one that that tended to do the most traffic because people just wanted to see what was available. Um, and the ones that were more exclusive have not been doing very well for quite a while. Now, the market has changed. We don't have a group of people who are sitting perched waiting for whatever technology to come out because we see what has happened after DGen, um, sorry, after the NFTs came out, then the PFP projects came out and a market developed around them. And we forgot about all of the other types of NFTs that can be offered. There's so many. Remember, it's any asset, anything. It doesn't even have to be content, right? It can be like, you know, if you want to rent out your apartment, you can do that through an NFT. If you want to like, you know, uh, develop land, you can do that. If you want to sell a physical painting, you can do that with an NFT um, and it's attached. So um, all of these things are important to note and that there's a different market now. So the idea first of doing necessarily like a full web two push, you know, is it necessarily um, going to continue? That isn't the way the market looks right now. Um, people People are very concerned about uh, rugs and things like that. There's a different market that we're looking at. And so we need to look at the market the way it is now. The number one thing I think we need to look at is our own community, which is what we're doing now. We're building our community. 
we all have our own individual communities and we're working to try and combine those into a joint sort of community effort so people can actually see this is a platform that helps. The second thing is we need to remind people that what is an, what is an NFT uh, actually, it's not an automatic moneymaker. It's rights management. Rights management is enormously important. And the problem is a lot of people, especially in the creator space, don't understand um, much about business or about how to make money, what the purpose is of even flipping. Like, is there a goal or are you just going to do that until you die? Um, and they don't understand the rights that they have, much less the ones that they need to offer. So a big piece part of what we do is actually to inform and educate. Like I'm doing another talk uh, tomorrow on understanding, uh, on dealing with finance when you are an NFT collector. Because the big problem is that they're flipping, but they don't realize where the big money is. And they don't understand what it takes to get there and why that's actually the goal that you want, not just a continual, you know, let me buy this and sell this and buy. And not that that's a bad thing. It's just that eventually, you know, if you're trying to build generational wealth, it's a different set of behaviors that you need to follow. So um, anyway, that I think is is going to be part of the foundation of what we offer is this ability to understand not just what. Um, what people are offering and making sure they're managing their rights correctly, but also the people who are buying need to understand exactly what rights they have, what benefits they have, and what the end game is. Because we're not taught finance, we're not taught about how to manage money or anything like that. We're kind of all on our own. And the thing about intermediaries is for a lot of people, especially creators, they handed off their ability to control their rights and and make money um, to an intermediary. They would just give something to a gallery owner or a record label or whatever it was and just said, here, you know, you do this. And then they just took money and were like, well, I guess this is how it works. That isn't um, what's happening anymore. You take out the intermediaries, you still have to have the knowledge somewhere. So all of these, all the creators now need to take on the information and they'll be amazed at how much control they have and how limited their resources really were when they relied on someone else to sell. If someone told you, you can't, no, you only have to make landscape paintings because that's the only one that works or the only thing that sells. What they really mean is I can only sell landscape paintings, not you can only create landscape paintings, but that is what a lot of people heard. And they fell into these kind of tracks because they had, you know, people in the, in the middle who were saying, well, no, this is what you do in order to sell. But that's not true. That's, this is what, this is what that person does to sell, but that doesn't mean that that's the extent of what you have to offer. Same with music, same, you know, everything, any, any type of uh, creative or business endeavor. A lot of people are relying on the middlemen to tell them what to do, and they weren't all—they weren't usually right. They were only right with respect to themselves. So that was a very long answer. I'm really sorry. Hopefully that was helpful. I want to add something really, really quickly before we go to. I see a hand. Um, there might be more down there, but I just want to also add. Like, I think um, Chris, like I think the challenge is is a little bit less how to get the users onto your platform. I can because we're all kind of curious and hoping for that next huge platform that we can get into early and solves all these issues that we're currently dealing with. Blah blah blah. Um, I think the the bigger challenge is getting them to stay and to continue to use it. So for us, it's about how do we get it to clearly, um, like as quickly as possible, show that we have something better than everybody else and make sure that it sticks very, very quickly. So 
there have been a lot of Web3 apps, just obviously because I'm paying attention to as many as possible. And I'm sure there are plenty that I haven't seen yet. But, you know, I want to go on and check it out and see like, hey, what's the competition like? And one of the biggest things for me is going in, signing up and then being confused or being overwhelmed or not seeing like a lot of value there. And then I never go back. So it isn't so much about, you know, because once you do provide those things that are clearly solutions and people start to catch on to it, I think it can kind of, it's like wildfire, right? So it's really about making sure that when you get there, you immediately can see the solutions that we solve and you can see the value right away and then having it sort of go viral after that. In my mind, that's kind of how I how I picture this going. And part of the reason why it's taken us longer, you know, to release in some other platforms is because we give a shit about that. We care about that part, right? So we'll take our time and make sure that we have it as close to right as possible so that when people do get there, they don't fall like fall right off, you know? And so that's kind of the point of a private beta, the next stage of a private beta, and then the public beta. We wanna make sure that once we do release it to the public, like it's sticky. Anyway. Awesome. Thank you, Mixie. And thank you, Alex. Uh, definitely got me interested. Definitely blew the top off of what I was thinking of from the beginning till now. So definitely interested. Going to check you out some more. Appreciate the answers. And um, we can go on to Huckleberry, who's been patiently having his hand up. How are you? Good. How are you? Welcome. I hope no. your arm doesn't hurt. I'm sorry, Huckleberry. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Well, what happened, just, Huckleberry? Just a little, uh, little rug burn on it. Uh, no. So my question was, uh, as far as the implications of what you were just talking about there, Alex, um, with the connections to business and the fact that it's a uh, an ability for membership control. And um, if you were to sell a vehicle with an NFT, for instance, what are the implied liabilities that would be attached to that? So if I attach the title of my vehicle to an NFT, and then down the road, someone eventually wanted to separate that. That would be the first part of my question. And then the second part of my question, as far as if you were then to take that into um, membership or even ownership into a business, what would be the implied liabilities there? So why aren't more people or small businesses saying, I need crowdfunding or capital? Can I do this through a creation of membership through NFTs? And if I eventually wanted to separate some of that, how does how does that happen? Is that is my question too off base? No, it's good. It's a no, it's a great question. It's great to see you. Um, so no, it's a really good question. So um essentially um the for a car specifically, right? So the rights that you offer are those that you specifically list in your initial, um, in the NFT and the link that is attached to it, right? So the NFT is really just a statement of ownership and then a link to something digital like, you know, music or code or whatever, um, or a digital representation of something physical like provenance or a title, um, you know, deed to land, something like that. Um, uh, one interesting thing to note here is the problem that we're having with a lot of things that are collateralized with NFTs is that interest has not been perfected. We don't have the ability to perfect yet on um, on NFTs. That is a legal issue. And that means that there's a problem with um, the way people are using NFTs strictly for collateral. Um, but back to your issue. So the easiest part of that question is, what do you do if you want to separate out titles? 
title from the NFT. That's pretty easy. The title still exists with the with the holder. Um, you take the title and you go to your you know the DMV and you know you make sure that um, you know it's registered. Uh, I'm assuming all of this has been registered with the DMV. But the only thing you need to do essentially is make sure that you secure physical possession of that title, and then you burn the NFT and it's done. You can re- do it again or you can whatever it is, but you just take physical possession and and you're and and then burn the nft and it's didn't happen anymore like i mean the the transactions exist but they cease so that would that so would make sense um, writing a a, a burn and you're kind of talking about the smart contract behind the yeah i mean so what it is is essentially that token that nft token um what you do is you basically send it to a, a, an unhosted wallet that nobody holds the keys to that's burning it. So the transact it still exists. The transactions still exist on the chain, but nobody can access it. So that NFT functionally ceases to exist. So nobody else can transfer it by NFT. So now we're back to that physical device um, of transferring title. It's no longer, it can't be done like, you know, over the phone. Right. It has to actually be done in person um, where you're physically transferring titles. So um, the next part of that is, um, you know, uh, what are the implications of offering shares or something like that by NFT? Really just security interests like the securities law, like there are regulatory systems that are in place that deal with these things. Um, the laws have been around for 80 to 100 years, so they're, it's pretty clear how to handle it. Uh, there's nothing particularly unique about offering a different device for doing that. So it's actually a great system for it. Honestly, I think that the um, the stock market should be on blockchain because then uh, you can't sell, uh, you can't rehypothecate, right? You can't take something that has been promised and um, promise it again, which is a big issue, honestly. Um, so what um what you what issues you would have if you were selling stock again other than um, regulatory ones um you would also need to make sure that whatever access you had for things like voting rights and proxies and things like that you were able to deliver those documents or make them available to all the holders there are some legal um, requirements also that you need to comply with but now we're allowed to sue by uh, by chatbot, you can deliver your like serve process by chatbot by uh, wallet. Um, you, you can like you can do all sorts of things now. So there shouldn't be an issue with delivering a proxy to a wallet and just saying, here you go, you know, read up on it so you can vote. So there's no there's not really an issue there. Why are more people not doing it? I honestly think that they don't know how. Um, I don't think it is about saying that that doesn't work. It just takes time for things to get into the mainstream. The other big, big issue that we have is onboarding. Onboarding and blockchain sucks. Once you're in, it's super easy. But that that mental leap of dealing with, you know, a wallet, understanding how uh, connecting an ACH account works, dealing with like, wh- wait, how do I do this? How do I how do I enter into this first transaction? How do I buy this? You know, I got to buy this first, and how, what do I do? Um, it's very difficult. We apparently, um, are the Church of Blockchain son- somehow decided UI UX is a terrible thing. So uh, almost all of the space has been ugly and difficult. And part of that was kind of like our rite of passage. Like if you can get through this 
you're a true believer, right? But enough of that, because we need to bring in all these people who are web two people who could really benefit from blockchain. So I mean, I'm sick of the, like, I, I look at a lot of the UI UX for so many of these different apps. And I, I totally am thinking like, and it's probably not true, right? But mm, I think designed by some 40 <laughs> year old in their mom's basement, you know, <laughs> like someone's down there going, ma, get me a sandwich. <laughs> I'm know? on the main level. Thank you very much. <laughs> I really, really yeah. love the, the merge. Like what I love the most about Web3 is the merge of, of the tech world with the creative world. I mean, that's essentially what those PFPs that annoy us so much, right? It's like, oh God, is that the best that we could do here? But really what that was is creative people that cared about art and vis they were visual people. They were like, oh shit, there's this technology we can take advantage of. What should we do with it? Right. And it was dumb, but you know, at the same, not totally dumb. Sorry, guys. Like it wasn't dumb. It, it wasn't it, dumb. It's but just like about community, those are community. Yeah, those are community tokens. Well, they have start a role somewhere, right? But like exactly, know, they well, have a role. Right. They're just not every role. So, so kind of going with what you're talking about right there, with you know specific roles to voting and proxy and that. Uh, let's just take um, apes, for instance, and how they have a derivative token with the potions and they're creating mutant apes and everything else like that my mind then thinks okay if i were going to source fund my company through an nft and then i could deliver my proxy votes with a derivative that would burn upon using the vote would that be something that would be trackable and actually um you could usable? do that but i do it differently i basically say um, I'd have a burnable SBT, like a, a like the Soulbound tokens, or there's like another kind of identity that is coming up, where that you have um, zk proofs, where you have like a you know you know that that person can vote, but you don't know who that person is specifically, and that um, those are going to come out as great tokens for voting, where you have like you prove that you have the right to vote. It's non-transferable because it has to be tied to the token holder. Um, but when you have those, then essentially um, there because you you can actually do a token in token transfer now. So you could literally just tie that to the um, holder of the NFT that was the security right? The, the share. And then if that gets sold, then the right to vote transfers with it, which is exactly what, you know, should happen. So you don't need to actually create an NFT and burn it or whatever. All you have to do is prove there's a right to vote. And then you could do a web two version of voting. You could literally just do like a poll. And, and because most of the poll designs don't have um, identif identifications of the person, it just, you, you do like um, a token lock on it. Like you can't access the platform unless you have one of those identifying tokens and then everybody votes once and that's it. And they can tell if you're voting more than once because you have that token. So there's no chance of fraud. So, um, and then they say they close the, the poll at some particular date and there you go, voting done. If you have a proxy representing other people, then um, you basically have another token that represents that you say like we you could program it with the number of people it represents, and um, and that actually would and then remove the viability of the people that 
that gave you the proxy. So proxy is basically your right to vote for someone else. When you have their proxy, you are acting in their stead. So you basically would say um, you don't transfer that, you know, that token because you, you want to keep it tied to the, um, the, the stock, but you would just say, okay, this person has transferred their right. So, um, you basically enact, like make deactivate that particular token for the person who passed along a proxy and activate it for the person who is collecting proxies. And then the person who collects the proxies then has X number of votes and then votes on behalf of all of those people, if that makes sense. This is probably way more complicated than you wanted, but um, that's how I would do it personally. It's it's not more complicated than I wanted. It's actually exactly what I was looking for. Awesome. Thank you so much, guys, for joining us. Thank you for taking time out of your day and sharing your project. Would Is there any uh, last thing you would like to share or anything um, before we close out the show? Or um, is there anybody that has questions? I just want to give a quick second because we have passed the hour and I want to make sure that we, um, you know, respect everybody's time. No, you guys, thank you so much for having us. It's always, I love that the space is recorded. I'd like to do the playback. Make sure I didn't sound like an idiot. Um, <laughs> I appreciate you guys having me and letting me speak and ask those questions. Thank you guys so much. Yeah, thanks, Huckleberry. Thanks to everybody. I loved the questions and I love, you know, um, there was no overly hot seating, <laughs> but no, like really, really happy to talk about the project. You know, I think when Alexandra and I and whoever they like, go into our own personal spaces, we want to grow our own community and try to filter them, filter them over to Minxie. You know, people don't really, it seems like people don't really love it when you are shilling your own project in your own space, but it's always really great when other people can invite us in and share their community with us. It means a lot to us. And um, yeah, we need all the help that we can get with community growth because it's a big it's a big job, right? And it takes a, a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of, you know, building relationships with people. So I, I just really, really appreciate you guys for inviting us into the space and asking us these questions. And yeah, please feel free to DM the Minxy account or Alexandra if you have any questions. I don't know. I sh should I say that? Is that okay, Alexandra? Everybody DM <laughs> Alex. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, that, was, that was all for me. Um, thank you so much for having us. And yeah. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. It was great seeing everybody. And I know it's like a, a little, it's a little bit long, so I will make this short, but I really appreciate you hosting us. You guys have been wonderful. This was so fun. You both speak so well, and it's so wonderful when people can carry on a conversation like you guys can. And so I very much appreciate you coming on. Um, B-Vans and I, especially B-Vans, we're always looking for, like to provide different and unique projects or information on our show and so you guys definitely delivered so um yeah definitely looking forward to learning more about you you know it's easy to go to a website and read a white paper but you just get so much more out of listening to the founders and the people involved speak because those are the people that are passionate about it so really loved it thank you guys Oh, um, EJ, the founder, he has just popped in real quick. Oh, wait, he just hopped out. He, he tricked me. Oh, there he goes. I'll try again. He sadly rugs sometimes just because of like where he is. Some, sometimes the internet is not so great. Yeah, I'm just, but uh, yeah. I know he appreciates you guys coming on as well. He sent a DM earlier and to thank you so much for coming in. All right. On that note, we'll close out the space and um Looking forward to um, chatting with you guys um, as you guys do your public 
uh, test net. I'm, I'm super excited for that and for all you guys are going to bring. Can't wait to chat with you again. Guess I'll see you guys in spaces, right? That's right. Next time in the Minxiverse. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Have a good day. Bye. Bye. Thanks for checking out another episode of The Ether. That was the Space Skelly's Bare Bones of Web 3 midweek special with special guest Tina Lu Hu from Minxie Official. Recorded on Wednesday, January 25th, 2023. For terraspaces.org, I'm Finn. Thanks for listening. And if you want to keep listening, head on over to terraspaces.org slash donate and show some support. When we blow through the dust, volcanoes erupt. No one ever guessed that the game would be tough. Keep a hands off when the play is a bust. Plain old and just, so we keep it on the one. Blast off on the two. Help me see the three. Third eye open wide, checking out the scene. Razor beam focus, star screen jokers. Living off the fat of the people they approach. Tell me what happens when the land fights back. With the cliffs at our backs, make the last stand matter. No one ever planned for the famine on deck. We was walking all erect with the dead man swagger Sitting in a little den, vision in the middle men Listen to the fiddle man play a little ditty then Talk about how all the leaders seem reptilian Lost in the maze, trying to make the next bubble-bubillion Talk about how all the leaders seem reptilian Lost in the maze, trying to make the next bubble-bubillion Little Dan envisioning the middle men Listen to the fiddle man play a little ditty then Talk about how all the leaders seem reptilian Lost in the maze trying to make the next No one gave a shit till the drugs all dried up Everybody died from a bad batch of Lysol But it didn't matter we was all hyped up When the pedal hit the metal he just didn't have the right skill Watched in the daytime till the night curfew Rats in a cage till they make time to murk you Got a little job that falls under my purview We gotta get this mob away from the birds view. Gotta find cover, wipe off the bird poop, ride off the work while you try on the worst juice. Blinded by perps who try to reverse truth, slide like Fox News just trying to lie to you. Eating up the slop like a bunch of hungry vagrants. I can't wait for the day they lock us up in stasis. Mock up a basement, could call me resilient. Waiting for the internet to make me a b-b-b-billion. Vision in the middle men Listen to the fiddle man Play a little ditty then Talk about how All the leaders seem reptilian Lost in the maze Trying to make the next B-b-b-billion Talk about how All the leaders seem reptilian Lost in the maze Trying to make the next B-b-b-billion Terrible spaces